inside my Bible in 365, brothers and sisters. This is the first book review of the year, and we are talking about the book of Genesis. Now, if you will remember what we did the first year is we gave you a very vivid summary of the whole book of Genesis. And then the second year, we did a summary of the book of Genesis that relates specifically to helping better understand all of the other books of the Bible. So many of the facts pertinent to that review helps you to do that. And of course, what we're doing in this year's round of book reviews is we are giving you very interesting facts about the book so that you'll understand the bird's eye view. And then we are going to talk about things that are very difficult with the book and some aspects of the book that are tremendous blessings. So let's talk about some of the obvious stuff. First of all, we know that this is the first book of the Bible, at least in the order that we see it in. It is uh, regarded as the first book of the Pentateuch, which of course would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And of course, uh, just so that I can make myself very clear when we start talking about number counts and chapter counts and word counts, as we did in the very first video where I did an introduction, there are 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. If you are reading through the King James Version, that means 1,533 verses and roughly 38,200 words. It's roughly 38,267 uh, 38, words, but I don't have that exact number in front of me, so I'm doing it by memory. So I hope I'm right, but anyway... <laughs> You can look it up and do a search, but uh, it is roughly in that proximity. Now, there are some very important observations to make about Genesis that I think are interesting that a lot of people don't really necessarily talk about. When you look at the word Genesis, it means origins or beginnings, right? And so when we talk about the beginnings, um, and it can, actually can take on very different meanings depending on the context in which it's used, right? So it could mean origin, it could mean the source, which it could be typically classified as a beginning. It can mean generations, believe it or not, depending on how it's actually used, which takes on a slightly different purpose and understanding and fits for all of the things that you find in Genesis. Now, Moses is the one who authored this, but what's interesting is the very last event that we read about in Genesis comes roughly three centuries before Moses is even born, okay? So this gives you a little bit of an idea of how that works, and that becomes very complicated when we start dealing with the subject of textual criticism and understanding how these stories were assembled and so on and so forth. It is believed that Moses was the one who took a lot of documentation that existed concerning the history of his people and the history of creation and actually assembled it together. And there's a lot to the documentation that led up to that and caused all of that to happen. It's very, very powerful and interesting stuff. Now, it is interesting because when you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis alone as a book literally spans more time across the book than any other book in the Bible. As a matter of fact, let me make myself clear, the book of Genesis with respect to the timeline of the actual book has, re has reference for more time in that book alone than all the remaining 65 books in the rest of the Bible. Let me help you understand how much time is involved when I say this, okay? 
We're talking about 4,100 years of Bible history is what we see recorded for us in the whole Bible. And roughly 2,286 of those years are accounted for in the book of Genesis alone. Folks, think about this. The remaining over 1,800 years, 1,800, right, are recorded all the way from what we would look at in Exodus into Revelation. Now, this gets a little tricky because you can actually argue that Revelation accounts for another couple thousand years, and you can say Revelation in and of itself carries as many years as Genesis because Revelation speaks into the future, and if we make the assumption that Christ could come at any moment, then Genesis, believe it or not, carries the same amount of years as Revelation would. But we'll get into that in a little bit, and that would be really interesting. The book of beginnings accounts for as many years as the book of endings. Hmm, that's interesting. But uh, the book of endings that I'm calling the book of endings when we look at the book of Revelation is really important because it really is another book of beginnings because what ends on this earth is a documentation of what begins in the future. And wouldn't it be interesting if both of those books had the same kind of time periods associated with it? Now, I'm not making any statements about any predictions about anything like that, but God does work in these types of patterns, and he also works outside of the box. So I'm not going to make any kind of crazy statements about any of those things. But I do want everybody to understand this because this is really, 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 really critical, okay? When we start looking at all of the documentation for how those years are accounted, the first 2,000 years, think about this, the first 2,000 years are in chapters 1 through 11, okay? And then when we start getting into chapters 12 through 36, which is them traveling into uh, uh, Canaan and what happens as they end up in Egypt and so on and so forth, you're talking 193 years that are accounted for right there as they're kind of going through Canaan, that whole area, right? And then when you get from chapters 37 through 50, it covers roughly 93 years. Now, some of you might say, well, weren't they slaves in Egypt for 400 years? Yes, but that's after Joseph died, and we don't have record of Joseph dying until the very, very end of Genesis, which is why this gets really interesting. Um, actually, end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus, and it gets very interesting from that point on, okay? And when we start looking in Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11, we also get information on why God chose Israel, uh, and I think that this is very important because we get that insight there. In Genesis chapter 12 on, we look at God actually giving us insight into the process, how that happened and all the things that went over there. Of course, we know of this powerful Abrahamic covenant that is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 12. And of course, it is ratified or made stronger in Genesis chapter 15, which we know that, right? Now, understand Genesis chapter 15 is one of many promises that we read about in uh, Genesis, and that chapter, chapter 15, speaks about the idea of God promising a great land to Abraham, right? And then in chapter 13, he speaks about a promise for Abraham's descendants. These are all related to the nation of Israel. And then, of course, in chapter 12, which is one of my favorite promises, he promises that he's not only going to bless Abraham, but he's going to bless those that bless Abraham, meaning bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. And there's so many things that are there. 
Also, I want to say this, and I think it's important. In the book of Genesis, we see a lot being covered here. Genesis deals with the subject of the beginning of the universe, the beginning of mankind, literally the beginning of Shabbat when God actually created mankind, right? The beginning of life, the very beginning of marriage. We even see the very beginning of rebellion against God in sin. We also see the beginning of death, the introduction of death, right? We see the beginning of the family as um, Adam and Eve come together and they make children, right? We see the beginning of God's redemption after they sin against God. We see the beginning of prophecy. The very first prophecies ever given in the book of Genesis are right there. We also see the beginning of functional language. Now, there's a lot to speak about there, and I don't have the time to talk about all of that, but when you start talking about the idea behind ancient Sumerian, and what may be the introduction of the Hebrew language at a certain point that we can actually identify in Genesis when we start talking about how God communicated with his people and he chose for his people to communicate with him. Pretty amazing stuff. And we even see the beginning of animal sacrifice for the sake of redemption of sin. And it goes part uh, part of this uh, picture of the redemption of mankind. And then Genesis, of course, as we know, covers all kinds of subjects and they're very important subjects, right? Um, if you want to learn about civilization and what makes civilization strong and the fall of civilization and the dangers of civilization, you can learn about it in Genesis. You can learn about the fall of man in Genesis. You can learn about God's creation in Genesis. You can learn about God's judgment and the patterns that come in God's judgment through the flood in Genesis. And you can learn about so many other significantly powerful things as you go through the book of Genesis. You can learn about the uh, original call that God gave to Abraham. You can learn about Jesus Christ. There are lots of messianic prophecies that you will find in the book of Genesis. Like for example, Genesis 49.10 that says that the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. That is a promise, of course, that relates to Christ coming to this earth. And it's a picture that tells us that Christ will come from the tribe of Judah. We know that. But on the top of that, it's also something that spectacularly communicates some principles to us that we might not necessarily think about. Like, for example, the right to capital punishment was taken away from Israel in that time that Christ was born and all of the rabbis were devastated because they had not yet seen the Messiah in their mind. They were walking around the streets wondering why God had forsaken them, yet they did not realize that in a small little town, Bethlehem, Jesus was born, their Messiah was born, and Genesis 49.10 was fulfilled. Or Genesis chapter 25, there's discussion concerning Jacob and who he was going to be in relationship to Christ. And then Genesis 21 and the promise of Isaac being one who would be within the line of descendancy for Christ or Abraham, as we see in Genesis chapter 12 or Genesis chapter nine, where we talk about the line of Shem or the line of Seth in Genesis chapter four, or how about Genesis chapter three, where Christ is in essence spoken about. And that prophecy is a powerful one, especially with the bruised heel and the crushed head. So many important stuff that you can find, and I'm just touching the surface, and there's a lot more to go over. Now, a couple of areas that I want to discuss for just a second, and I know, listen, I'm telling you, these videos are going to be a little bit longer, okay? The first area is this, and I'm going to try to, with every single one of these books, pick a difficult section of the book, and then pick a section of the book that I just think is a tremendous blessing, okay? The difficult section in Genesis, there's many of them, but I'll just pick one of them, is one where people create what is called the gap theory. Now, if you don't know what the gap theory is, it's okay. You don't need to know because it's hogwash. 
But the idea here is that in Genesis 1-1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's a declaration in Genesis 1-2 that says, and the earth was without form and void. That was the next verse. So some people think that when the declaration of God creating the heavens and the earth takes place, that somehow in between verse 1-1 and 1-2, the world was destroyed and all over again, God had to start. Well, no, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, a lot of people think that the fall of Satan took place in between 1-1 and 1-2. Well, that can't happen because the fall of Satan actually, as we understand it, is not given to us. We really don't know when that actually happened. So we can't make these crazy assumptions. But I do want to say this. What's actually being said in Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 without getting into the Hebrew and reading everything out of the Hebrew language for you and getting into all the technicalities or even verifying it with the things that we see in the Septuagint translation, let me just simply say this. Genesis 1, 1 is a simple verse that is making a declaration that it's God who is the one that created the heavens and the earth. So it starts off at the very beginning saying, hey, everybody, I want to get your attention. God is the one that I'm identifying as the individual who created the heavens and the earth. So Genesis 1-1 is a statement that says, God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Then in verse 2, he starts giving us the beginning of that creation story. He says the earth was without form and void. So the idea here is that God created all the raw materials in order to fabricate or assemble the earth. He created something out of nothing. And then once he created something out of nothing, he took all of those raw materials as we read about in the beginning of verse two, and he began to form and fashion it. Why I think that's very important is because the idea that's given to us is that there is a artistic rendering by God of the world and of humanity. And you can see that. As a matter of fact, later on in Ephesians, Paul says that we are God's workmanship, that the Greek word for workmanship is poem. We are his poema. Literally, we are his artistic work. Peter seems to imply the same thing later on. And so the power that we find in the things that are being communicated here is that God took the time to beautifully and artistically form and fashion us. Now, my favorite and perhaps one of my most uplifting verses in Genesis would be in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And that is when Joseph makes the declaration. It's a very powerful one. He says, look, he says this to his brothers that sold him into slavery, that did him dirty, that sent him down a line of a miserable life for the first uh, probably 30 years of his life. Very terrible, very difficult time. And Joseph, in all of the difficulty that he went through, when he was put in a position to take revenge upon his brothers, he looked at his brothers and he says, listen, what you meant for evil, God has taken it and he has meant it for good. I love that. Because when you guys are going through a struggle, when you're going through a difficulty, I want you to think of the book of Genesis in remembering the fact that God has taken everything that the enemy has meant for evil for you and he is using it for his glory and he's using it for your good. And there is something spectacular about that. Genesis is a spectacular book, folks. I hope absolutely hope and pray that you will be blessed by every aspect of what you read. Take your time with this book. This is the book that has the most human history as it relates to what the Bible records given to us, and it's powerful stuff. So enjoy it. We love you guys. God bless you. Keep fighting the good fight.